1: You just want brown MMs. I want
0: right. bro- Yeah. I want decaf green tea every time.
1: Really? Very you don't want coffee anymore? No, 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 I'm kidding. That was just what. We had a, a bunch
0: down. of rock and roll people, and they all had their little things they needed. So you have to huh. go buy them very specific things.
2: Turns out for writers. Hmm. But yeah. We just, uh, coffee
1: is.
0: Yeah, coffee's fine. Okay. We're okay. okay. We're still going to work for good coffee. Don't you worry. My goodness.
1: Yeah. It's about to get sketch. <clears throat> um, so, hey, here we are. Yeah. Hey, we're buddy. About to, hey, yeah, we missed last week. Well, I had I had family in town. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. We had I guess dinner. you
0: celebrated a birthday while we were gone. Who? America.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm like looking around the room. <laughs> and me. Like, and you, though. You had a
0: birthday. I did. Yeah. Your birthday was yeah. between the last time we saw you? Yeah. When what day was it? It was
2: uh, a week ago. It was last Tuesday, twenty-seventh wow. June, Jeff.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: America and I.
0: That's awesome. We're we're tight. That's so cool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was special. That's good. Happy birthday, Matt. Thank Happy birthday.
1: You. America. Thanks, guys. Happy, Happy birthday, America. Matt. Thank you. Um I don't know if we have any catching up to do. Uh I'm gonna put do, do a quick plug okay. at the at the up front. If you get a chance, go to iTunes regardless of where you listen to us yeah. give us the best rating your conscience will allow you to give us be also honest if you're
0: leaning for a higher one go for the higher one. Round, up. Right, round up round up yeah. round right. up
1: um and uh also keep checking out the podcasts on uh since right now dot network uh in particular unruffled is just uh you know blazing new territory with uh, Sandra and Tammy—they're doing great stuff on the Ruffle podcast. Please check that out, and all the others on Since Right Now And um, I guess with that out of the way, unless you guys want to do any catching up, we're going to dial in uh, the founder of Refuge Recovery. Yeah, Noah Levine, and uh, I'm going to do that right now. This is cool. exciting.
0: Yeah. It is exciting because oh. we went there, and then somehow we reached out, and it all worked out. I've been to two meetings, refuge meetings. You have, yeah. You a competent yeah, you one, yeah.
1: We should. I would do that again. Hey Noah, this is Noah. Hey Noah, it's Chris, and I now have with me Jeff. Hello Noah and Matt. What's happening? Hey, How you doing, man?
3: Hey Matt, what's?
1: I'm good. Well, good. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as I mentioned in the the pre-call um sorry actually i introduced you before I, I called you on just uh before i called you up but um everybody knows that we have uh, the founder of refuge recovery noah levine um and uh it's it's um come on our radar now it seems to be everywhere refuge recovery yeah. i think it's a case of once you're looking for something you see it everywhere yeah and um and so we've been talking about it on the past few episodes of the podcast, and I guess uh, some of your people um, had heard, heard it, and maybe you heard it, and uh, and and we're fortunate enough to now have uh, the man behind it all on the show. So thanks and, and, and welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um,
3: yeah, but yeah, it's happy been re- to happy to join you guys. Well, great.
1: It's it's, uh, it's been fascinating for all of us. I think particularly because we were unaware until relatively recently about. I mean we, we talked about it maybe a couple of years out but um, we've been trying to expose ourselves to different modes of recovery different programs and just recently um, we all went to a refuge our first together Jeff has been to two um, and just found it really really yeah. um, welcoming and welcoming. fascinating yeah, and, and, and fascinating comfortable and comfortable um, uh, and so we talked about it and
2: yeah we're 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 uh, pretty open-minded group and we've we've gone to uh all the types of recovery meetings here in st louis that you can find which is kind of a smaller pool i think yeah. than some other places but uh, yeah but
1: yeah so this what is else, really what
3: else co- what else you guys have out, out there you have smart, smart you have what else is there well
1: AA and yes. uh, uh ubiquitous yep. refuge um, recovery um and there's was
0: there some matter moderate. moderate is there a moderation? We, yeah there's a moderation management, really, management meeting we, that ever? Yeah.
1: we haven't tried that yet no yeah. we have not um
3: but so it's a BYOB i think yeah yeah, 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 yeah that know, was kind a, of our yeah, initial yeah, thought
1: yeah. you know
2: it's <laughs> like
3: that one you know what that we're going to we're going to skip that maybe if we're
2: free sometime but uh, um, yeah but you know in in the past na and and aa and uh, all sorts of a's so
3: we we've been doing this does rational recovery still exist you or is what? that Gone
1: I think that does still exist And then the other one we have to look into um, Rational recovery I think does still exist I was more aware of it Maybe last year when I was doing a lot more research But um, And then right. s- SOS Which I'm, I can't remember what that stands for now Sober Sec-
3: secular, secular Right s- Secular something sobriety So and and We
2: did go to the agnostic uh, and atheist in recovery convention right. in Austin <laughs> right.
1: earlier this year yeah, so that's right um,
3: right I think they had one of those in Los Angeles last year yeah I think
1: you're mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you're right yes it was in Los Angeles last year and then we went this year in Austin um, so so here's the thing what, what's, what's been fascinating and again it might be because we're looking for it and so we're seeing it a lot but um, Refuge really seems to be having a moment right now and if that's if I'm wrong if it's always been having its moment but um, and I guess uh we have a listener, and I think it's a good place to start from a question standpoint, is can can someone walk both paths of AA and RR to, together? Are they complementary? Yeah. Do they work together?
3: Like yeah. That's, abs- that's what's been... Ab- yeah. Well, absolutely. On, on a lot of levels, the answer is absolutely yes. And I would say that probably more than half of the... Um, refuge recovery members are still doing Mm -hmm. 12-step. You know, of course, we don't have a hard statistic, but my sense is that um, in the beginning, it was even more. It was like 60 or 70% of the people were doing 12-step as well. And now I think, depending on the location, I think there are more and more people who are just using refuge recovery and not doing 12-step, but I'd imagine that it's still about 50-50 and that they're, you know, pretty complementary on a lot of the levels and a lot of the principles, you'll find in the same. And mm-hmm. they're both, you know, abstinence-based programs, and they're both believe in a spiritual solution and a, you know, service. You know, whether you call it fellowship in the 12 steps um, for community or sangha in refuge, you know, the Buddhist word for community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many common principles um, that people find, and you know, the big difference is. Whether you um, kind of have a theistic uh, perspective and a higher power and a God uh, type of language, or a humanist perspective that says actually human beings can recover based in their own efforts and not uh, divine intervention, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and did you? F- found... So a lot of pe- a lot of people are doing both, and then I think there's even people who are pretty theistic minded and, and really happy in the twelve steps and have a higher mm-hmm. power. But also didn't learn much meditation, so they're coming over to Refuge to learn mindfulness and compassion and forgiveness meditations, even though they're quite happy with their twelve-step, uh, theistic, open-minded perspectives. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell us how, how this whole thing came about. Uh, did you get sober in a or what was your, what's your story and what how did your this journey? Yeah. When did you like? Oh,
3: I've got to start so this thing. So I I got. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um i got sober in 1988 i was uh sitting in juvenile hall i was already familiar with the 12 steps i'd been sent you know court ordered to to meetings since i was about 13 years old i got in a lot of trouble as a kid yeah and so i was familiar with the 12 steps i knew i was an addict and an alcoholic i had been for some time i wanted to stop i didn't know how to stop and um in the, in the jail, my father, who was a meditation teacher, offered me simple mindfulness oh. meditation instructions. Okay. And so I started meditating while I was locked up. And that made sense to me. And there was a kind of practical and a little bit of reprieve from my alcoholic mind when I could ignore my thoughts and pay attention to my breath, mindfulness of breathing. So he's a, so he's a meditation really where my, teacher.
0: Was he yeah like growing up, you know you're obviously you know you start drinking or whatever and you're running and gunning is he trying to help you and watch this whole thing happen, or is he just like how is that to deal with a kid that's that unruly that's in juvie as a meditation teacher and then to be able to help you i guess you
3: no know, my dad, my dad uh you know who passed away a couple of years ago, was a really a beautiful guy who was also. A junkie before I was born. Okay. And was, you know, a, a a hippie and had done time on Rikers Island. By the time I was born, he's like writing books with Ram Dass and teaching wow. meditation retreats with Elizabeth Kubler Ross yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, Jack Kornfield and like all of, all of, he's, you know, he's re- writing these amazing books on mindfulness and conscious dying. My father's name is Stephen Levine. Yeah. He was quite famous and quite. Um, you know seminal in bringing the dharma you know in that kind of Mm -hmm. generation that uh, of uh, you know the hippie generation that really brought the dharma to the westerners in a serious way dharma being kind of eastern hindu buddhist spirituality Um, did you grow up knowing all these you know he had more of like a hippie i did yeah i mean i grew up going to like hindu festivals and buddhist wow. workshops and <laughs> you know and i was just like this is hippie bullshit and <laughs> totally. the only solution is like violent revolution anarchy you know i started listening to punk rock right. when i was like nine years old and i was just like no the, you know the hippies are full of it the punks know what's happening yeah <laughs> and um
0: you had something to rebel so I, you against know, i
3: rejected all of that yeah. stuff yes exactly wow. exactly So my dad, you know, he had that kind of hippie uh, attitude that was just like, okay, yeah, my kids are going to experiment with drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad, you know, and it was mostly my parents' drugs that I was using. I started getting high when I was seven years old (laughs) because there was weed around. There was acid in the freezer. There was booze. You know, my mom was an addict as well. And, um, you know, they had been divorced from a very early age. My mom was doing Coke. And so I'd like 12 years old, I start snorting Coke, you know, it's just like, it was my parents' drugs mm-hmm. that I, uh, you know, initially started getting strung out on. Mm-hmm. So they weren't really like trying to do an intervention. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right, they, right. Were, they were kind of just like, you know, take it easy, kid, quit smoking all my weed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh wow! So it's a combination of punk rock, uh, alcoholism, drugs around the house, and then this just... So did you? Was your dad sober when you, when you were born, or was he? Did he sober he, up as you? He wasn't sober.
3: Up? He had he. You know, he wasn't. He was. He was no longer on opiates. He was one of those guys that had been a heroin addict, yeah. and then you know could smoke weed and drink occasionally, and yeah. had his one of those kind of psychedelic cowboy. Mm types, but yeah. he was a real, you know, he was committed um, to spiritual practice yeah.
4: mm-hmm.
3: and to meditating and devotion and had his guru. And so drugs and alcohol were not a central part of his life anymore, sure. and he was one of those weird ones that found sort of a balance with it.
0: Well, it's funny, I, when you read the Ram Das journey or even your father's, it sounds like, I mean, they all tried to find spirituality through hallucinogens and drugs, and it was like they really pushed it as far as possible. So it's interesting that your father was still... Into that and and there's no judgment on it because I I get that mm. idea you know but it's interesting that that that's...
3: yeah and all of those guys were still into it you know like sure. they sort of even Ram Dass who who said like well you know the LSD opened the door and now we need to use our spiritual practice yeah. to go back through it to. Uh, but they all kept doing drugs, you know. None of them like became abstinent, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they all there was still a place for the hallucinogens and the smoking weed and yeah. and all of that stuff.
0: Yeah. So. Um, so,
3: so you were yes, yeah, so I grew up in that scene. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a
2: crazy childhood. It is. It
3: is, and then <laughs> and then at
2: some point the meditation made sense and offered you yeah. some comfort. Uh, it sounds like.
3: Kind of yeah, I mean, a big part in. of it was I, I knew I was an addict and I knew I needed help and I had some sense of what the 12 steps had to say. And when I was locked up, I started going to meetings of my own volition. But what I heard there was, you know, that God is the solution and a higher power and you're powerless and, you know, um, no human power and all of the stuff that just didn't make sense to me. The Judeo-Christian theistic worldview. Yeah. I you know I, I'm like politically educated by the dead Kennedys, <laughs> right? Know, right, right. By, Jello, take by me home. Bad religion, by right. you know, by by a whole bunch of like anti-religious yeah. punk rockers, and um, I just couldn't get my mind around a what to me felt like a very Christian mm-hmm. uh, solution to my addiction. Yeah. But the meditation made really a lot of sense to me. I was like, okay, here's a practical tool that helps me alleviate suffering through my own effort. Here's something that I can sit in my cell and do, not not praying and waiting for relief, but actually training my mind in meditation. Uh, even though I was, you know, so hard to meditate when you're detoxing and you're
4: yeah. you know
3: in those early days. But I, I got some hope from the Buddhist meditation practice that the theistic philosophy didn't really give me a lot of hope. I didn't believe in a loving, caring, higher power that was going to restore me to sanity. It just didn't make sense to me. But meditation as a practical psychology made sense to me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's, for, for whatever
0: reason, the whole thing is trying to get you to be mindful, I think, the one day at a time, just that statement alone is trying, you know, you're trying to get into the present. And so... I don't know why that is. Why that is the thing that works? But it sounds like you found a way to get there, right?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in all of those principles. So I started going to twelve steps, and I started meditating. And you know, I was locked up for about nine months in a group home, and um, you know, and I connected with other. What I, the thing that really happened for me was that in the twelve steps, I found fellowship. Mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. recovering people like me, who I could relate to. And in the Buddhist meditation groups and retreats I started going to, I just found my father's hippie friends that I didn't want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> like, they, they had, you know, they had the information that I related to, but they weren't my people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you found your people in recovery. That's, that's crazy. So at some point, did, the, did you were just like, I've got to <laughs> bring these two worlds together? Did that just organically happen or was it little baby steps?
3: Well for a long for a long time, you know, at least for the first decade, maybe even more, I just lived in the two worlds. You know, I went to meetings and, and I worked the twelve steps to the best of my ability and I made my amends and I did my inventories and I never really came to believe in a higher power. I came to understand directly the relief that I got from love and service and you know fellowship and unity, all of that. But it never really made sense to assign the recovery to an external higher power. I really felt like, you know, I'm taking all of these actions and I'm getting better. Mm-hmm. I stopped stealing and I stopped lying and I stopped drinking and using, mm-hmm. and I'm not suffering so much anymore. Yeah. You know? And um, <laughs> big surprise. <Yeah. laughs> you know, go figure. Uh, and then at some point, I, I kind of, um, when I started teaching Buddhism, my teacher, Jack Cornfield, my father, and uh, some of my other you know teachers said, You should start teaching. And I'd done a whole bunch of retreats, and I'd been so serious about the practice. And I started going back into the same juvenile hall that I'd been locked up in, mm. and teaching mindfulness to the kids there. And um, I went back to school and became a psychotherapist, and you know, really just dedicated my life to service, to you know, as much as I could. And uh, I just kind of kept them separate. I was like, okay, I'm going to teach. I'm going to start teaching Buddhism, but I don't want to exclude the non-addicts. So I don't want to be the, you know, recovery guy because everybody's suffering, not just us drug addicts. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I started teaching and, you know, creating Dharma punks and against the stream, I just said this, you know, this is for anybody who's interested in the Buddhist path and in meditation. But what happened was half of my community, half of the people that showed up, were addicts. Mm-hmm. Many of whom were saying, "I'm an addict and I want to recover, but I can't get my mind around the twelve steps." Buddhism makes just like you know my my experience.
4: Yeah.
3: Uh, Buddhism makes sense to me, and you know, open minded theism of the twelve steps doesn't really make sense to me. Can we just use Buddhism? And in the early days, I said, you know, I think we should use both. And you know, how about the twelve steps and Buddhism? And people like um, Kevin Griffin, who's an old friend of mine, who wrote the book about Buddhism and the Twelve Steps. You know, we started doing workshops together and saying, like, okay, here's some Buddhist ways to understand the Twelve Steps mm-hmm. and what they have in common, and how to understand powerlessness and higher powers and defects of character and conscious contact, all of that stuff. And and I did that for a little while, but there was something for me about when you start talking about Buddhism and the 12 steps, you start having to try to make some things fit that don't quite fit. Mm-hmm. Building some bridges where they're just, you know, God's will and karma are just different philosophies. Mm-hmm. You know, either yeah. we're fully personally responsible for all of our actions and have karma. Or there's, you know, a, a higher power that can actually change your karma and your reality. Yeah. And they don't totally fit together. Either you know it's either higher power or it's yeah. karma mm-hmm. so is it, <laughs> right. you yeah, know from so you, a Buddhist perspective yeah, so, so you think
0: that the theistic one is you you somehow are giving your turning your will in your life over to God and you don't have then yep. responsibility for it or you're just sort of accepting of what comes your way and that's what you accept and then Buddhism is more of a personal responsibility to put out energy in the world or something that's going to then come back to you so there's more you're still more involved I guess in in what's gonna happen to you or something I don't know right
3: Def- yeah de- yeah definitely sort of. more agency <laughs> mm-hmm. um, from that perspective and from that actually you can change your karma you can purify your karma through positive acts yeah. you can you know you're you're responsible and no matter how much negativity how much addiction that that is something that human beings have the power to change through their own actions.
0: What's really interesting, I think and I don't know, you know, just Christianity's uh, relevance in the U.S. or in in our country, I think it's, I don't know how there's lots of people that are hardcore Christians, obviously, Mm. but when the book was written, it was certainly more prevalent and you can see why it went that way and Christianity was a big part of the founding, but it seems that Buddhism and Eastern philosophy has, if, if this is having its moment, it seems like mindfulness and all of that stuff is really it's not that it's one, it's just the philosophy makes so much more sense, I think, mm. right? Now, in this mm-hmm. modern day, uh, it's just easy, it's Well, and it really, you know, it's, yeah.
3: it's verifiable. Yeah. Yes. You know, they've done all of the neuroscience right. studies and say, this is how meditation actually changes your yeah. neuropathways and your brain chemistry and... And your attachment strategies. I mean, there's just been so many studies. Of course, there's been a lot of studies on the power of prayer as well.
4: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, the Buddhist practical uh, psychology really matches up well with uh, science and psychology. Yeah. So um, it's, it is having more and more popularity. Yeah. And, you know, and people have done such a good job at secularizing it and pretending like it's not Buddhism. Right, right. Pretending like mindfulness is some sort of psychological tool that somebody made up in the 70s (laughs) uh, because those very smart uh, guys in the 70s said, hey, let's pretend like mindfulness isn't Buddhism (laughs) and let's study it and let's sell it to medicine and psychology as a secular tool rather than a spiritual practice. Yes,
2: let's capitalize the M and turn it into something completely different. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) This is really Which is brilliant. F- oh, absolutely, absolutely. This is this is all fascinating. You know, the three of us, we all kind of came at recovery from slightly different angles, and um, uh, it's it's just fascinating to see how these two paths converged for you. And having been to Refuge Recovery, and personally, um, in my case, having been someone who felt like. The higher power was a necessary concession that I needed to make, even if I didn't. If it didn't really make it s- make sense to me, I needed to swallow this pill in order to save my life because I saw it working for other people. Yes, um, and just acknowledgement that there yeah. is this other path. It's 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 pretty. It's really fascinating mm. um, because the tenants, like you were saying, yeah. the idea that you get self esteem through esteemable acts, and the idea that if you put out positivity, positivity comes back to you. Th- those are kind of hardwired into mm. a lot of us. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah.
0: Well, it's funny. I, I had a true spiritual experience th- in the, the way the big book talks about it. When I got sober, the the moment I got sober, I prayed the compulsion to drink was lifted from me and it has never come back. And it felt like something outside of myself was present. I don't know mm. what that is. So I've, it's, it was really easy for me to do the 12 steps, but I have had lots of sponsees and lots of people that get really hung up on the spiritual part of this program, or whatever that is, and it feels like right. this is such a posi- or such a a way to get into it and talk about it and still get sober, right? Um, that isn't so
3: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And there's there can't be just one way, yeah. and you know, there's there's got to be lots of different ways. And the higher power stuff makes sense to so many people, and mm-hmm. people like you have that experience of like, hey, this I can totally get my mind around this and i had an experience and uh, i can assign this meaning to it yeah and, and it, it could have sense been totally to something different um where know? so yeah. but it,
0: yeah it, you have no idea what that experience is i remember the feeling of that experience but who knows what it was you, you know you assign meaning to it like right. this and it has worked and you just kind of yeah. don't ever think about it or whatever mm. but
3: well, and we go to meetings, and the meetings say, like, that's the only way, and, it's the, yeah. and that, that's what it means, right? They assign mm-hmm. the meaning to it, and then you're in that peer pressure group thinking mm-hmm. um, and the conversation around higher power, higher power, higher yeah. power, so then you're like, well, that must be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> know, if you had walked into a, a, a Buddhist room and they said this was like a surrender to the Dharma yeah. and, yeah. you know, a karmic purification, you would have said, oh, well, that must be what it is.
0: As, as, I could have <laughs> you know? totally been like, like that was a karmic a, purification. It was right. a total surrender karmic. That was exactly what it was. Like you say that. I'm like oh yeah, that could have been it. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy that's it. probably one of those. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but that yeah. <laughs> felt like that. Yeah. That's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. So you. T- oh, sorry. We. T- no, 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, I just the textbook itself. Because I think when we were reading the textbook, and the meeting itself was great because you go in and you meditate, and you kind of get your mind right before the meeting starts. It was fantastic. Yeah. 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 So you have this little quiet part, and then by the time everyone's sharing, you're like, oh, it's great, and you're really into the thing. But I love the fact, I think we we're all appreciative, and nothing against the big book. It's a it's a wonderful book. There's so much power into it and whatever. But if the language itself is, it's tough to get into it. I can see if you're a newcomer, you're like, What? <laughs> this antiquated yeah. 1930s But this thing you wrote amazing right i mean and and how long did that take and did you base it on
3: something or how did you, how did that all come together the textbook right so let me just um back up because i didn't completely complete the the reason i created it was so many people were showing up and saying we want this yeah. and then i just felt like oh it's my responsibility to create it um I, didn't, I wasn't really motivated to be a recovery Buddhist person. Yeah. I was very happy just being a Dharma, a Buddhist teacher. But so many people kept saying, like, this needs to be there. And I got, you know, I just got motivated. I said, like, yeah, this needs to exist in the world, mm-hmm. a non-theistic Buddhist-based uh, approach. I've been using it myself for all of these years, decades and um, we need meetings. We need Sangha. We need a format. We need a way to, for this to be reproduced all over the world. So, when I sat down, and, and I had already written three books, and so the, and I, I know how to write. And so I sat down and I just took the core teachings of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, mm-hmm. the Eightfold Path. And this is just what the Buddha said. Um, this is, you know, the, the suffering, the truth of suffering. And uh, turn that into the, the, you know, the first truth of refuge, which is the suffering of addiction, mm. and the cause of all human suffering, which is repetitive craving. Which, as ad- addicts, we can relate to easily. Like, oh yeah, the repetitive craving for drugs and alcohol, or or you know, behaviors, and and all of the other ways that even when we are abstinent from the drugs and alcohol or behaviors, craving continues, and that delusional thought that says. Happiness exists somewhere in the future rather than right here in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And um, so, we just took that and created inventories around the suffering of addiction and the manifestation of craving in our lives and all of the different areas. And then the third noble truth, which is that, um, you know, traditionally in Buddhism, it's that enlightenment is possible or, or nirvana, that human beings have the possi- the potential and the power to end suffering in their life through the Eightfold Path, and that's what the the fourth truth is—the Eightfold Path. And so it's a really it's a perfect um, treatment modality. It's really what the Buddha uh, was saying is that there is this disease that human beings have, and it manifests as unhappiness, <laughs> and it is uh, you know created by mm-hmm. craving for pleasure and aversion to pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, through meditation and an ethical way of life, uh, wisdom and compassion will ease the suffering and will bring us to a place of happiness and well-being. Or in this, from this perspective, to recovery, to recovering a sense of well-being and, and freedom from you know, suffering and addiction. Mm-hmm. And so I just sat down and took the core teachings that I'd already written books about. And uh, said, OK, here's here's what it means for us as addicts to use this traditional Buddhist model as recovery. And then there was a few places where it didn't exist in Buddhism that I kind of borrowed from the 12 steps and I thought were really important, such as like making amends
4: mm-hmm.
3: when um, because karma says, well, if you've caused harm, you've you you still own the karma of that. So making amends isn't really a big part of it because, you know, you didn't get away with it. But I thought for addicts Mm -hmm. and my own experience of making amends was so important to take responsibility and to make amends. So I put that in there. Um, The mentoring thing, you know, Buddhism Mm -hmm. can be a bit hierarchical and it's like there's the Buddhist master and then there's the students. So I said, no, you know, the 12-step model of peer-led and – you know, supporting each other really works so well. And so we put that in there and created mentors and, mm-hmm. you know, taking refuge in the community uh, to have that experience of fellowship, of of sangha, what we call sangha, and of, you know, one addict helping another addict. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, it works so well. Yeah. And then I just took the guided meditation. You know, I just took all of the meditations that I've been practicing and teaching and turned them into scripts. Um, So that you don't need a meditation teacher that we can just, you know, guide each other in the meditations. Mm -hmm. And said, you know, read this slowly to the group and here's the compassion meditation instructions. Here's the forgiveness meditation instructions. Here's the, you know, mindfulness, all of the different instructions. And that way, like you guys said, you go into a meeting, there's a guided meditation led by one of the members. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which was
0: really cool. We did the forgiveness one where you have to, like, forgive people that you don't like. (laughs) that was tough but it was good yeah it's like oh
1: yeah i guess we got to do that (laughs) and and we you know i think you know jeff and mav mentioned we all come at recovery from a different in different ways and and this is chris and uh i basically spent the first like 15 years or so of my recovery um in the wild on my own i i probably maybe ill advisedly sort of constructed my own detox and rehab that I was fortunate enough to have a family, my family, um, allow me to sort of go home and get sober and, and figure it out myself. My, my sort of, uh, introversion and social anxiety kept me from AA at first, I think. um, and so it's only recently since I've started this this project, this, this podcast and the website, that I've started doing the exploring and figuring out how I can pay back all those years of sort of successful sobriety and recovery. Um, and so I've been now to maybe a handful of AA meetings, you know, a smart recovery meeting, and now a refuge recovery meeting. And what I found just, just very, very... Um, it, it was just a massive... Uh, I want to say relief, I guess, but the, the, the refuge recovery was so sort of frictionless. It was effortless and welcoming and, um, you know, and again, it's, it's the meetings you go to are, are the, you know, the experience you're going to have and they're not all the same, but you know, AA is always for me in the few I've been to now, there's that, that, that bit of, of hang up on what, what the higher power is. And there's, um, seems to be a lot more (laughs) dogma than karma, uh, in my experience. Um, and uh you know despite my best efforts to get my head around as an apatheist, um you know the higher power the closest i've come is somebody suggested to me that that love is a higher power it's a you know and uh i think as a concept you know that maybe comes closest to what to what you're talking about in refuge recovery but um you know certainly the meeting we went to was uh
2: it was just steaming, yeah. I and mean, it, it felt. And I, I think the guided meditation um, was was particularly fascinating because in in traditional AA based recovery, we talk a lot about prayer and meditation, and the prayer is very guided because it's rote. Um, you're you're reciting things, mm. um, uh, or you're praying. There are you know established prayers and modes of prayer, and meditation is just sort of. Um, this assumption there, there isn't a lot of training or a lot of, you know, people all come at it from different ways and it's kind of something you discover on your own. And, um, you know, maybe someone will say, Hey, clear your mind, close your eyes. I, you know, I, I, uh, the guided meditation was particularly helpful for, I think for all of us uh, who all meditate, but, um, just in that form. And at that time, I think all of us felt what a great way to start. Yeah. This cumulative recovery experience with
1: with others, yeah, that, to set this stage by really letting go. And so, what's your program now? Is are, do you are you active like daily in reco- refuge recovery? Is that is that part of what you do, or
3: no? You know, I. I, um, I'm not very active. Hmm. I go to refuge occasionally. I still go to 12 steps occasionally.
4: Okay.
3: Um, this week, you know, I went to a, an AA meeting this weekend with a friend. Um, and you know, I, I hate to say it, but sometimes because I'm the founder of refuge, it's a little bit weird for me mm-hmm. <laughs> to go in and be like the guy right. that created it. Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just want to go to an AA meeting and be anonymous. Yeah. Right. And just like go and be a recovering person, and not you know not yeah. anybody who created anything. You right, know? Bill Wilson is uh, back. Yeah. So I I do I definitely I definitely do both. Yeah, it's, it is a little bit weird. Somebody even said to me uh, uh, that people are saying, "Are you a friend of Noah's?" And I was like, Ooh. "Oh my god, that's <laughs> so weird!" You know, like yeah. a friend of Bill's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and um, I, I think it's, you do... know it's it's just weird to to be.
2: Oh, go ahead. It... Did I lose you? No, you no, no, no. We were just. Uh, it, it. It doesn't sound like that was your intent in any way, shape, or form. Was to be this? Yeah.
3: No, no, and, and actually, I tried to get the publisher to to publish the book anonymously, and you know there, and I've actually had you know especially twelve step people saying like, why did you put your name on it? Like, why isn't this just an anonymous Buddhist recovery program? And my publisher wouldn't. You know, they wouldn't put the book out. Mm and and i just felt like okay i have to use my name and my you know already kind of platform that i have as a buddhist teacher sure. in order to get this out into the world because if i didn't put my name on it you guys wouldn't have heard about it in st louis yet right. you know like it wouldn't be getting out into the world mm-hmm. if it was just this like you know self published thing in los angeles you yeah. know what i mean yeah. Well, yeah. and so i felt like oh no i i need i need to be I need to step up and and talk about this and, and take every opportunity like this podcast to tell people about um, you know a Buddhist based recovery program and and so I'm happy to do that and it feels like my uh, you know service and everything and you know and I have to admit that it's a little weird.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, yeah, I mean,
1: everybody knows who Bill Wilson is and. Yeah. and Decades from now, you know, yeah. real could be no, a thing. No, Levine isn't. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's fine. I think it's great. I think it's. It's. <laughs> it, I think it's excellent. I, I love that we're able to talk to you about the thing that you've created for yeah. certainly for you know better understanding and just um, to, to shine a light on the the nooks and crannies of it. Um, so how how long are we talking? I had this.
3: S- I had this old. I had this old NA guy come up to me. Oh, go ahead. sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, story. I had this old N.A. guy come up to me and say, yeah, he and he, he just said, like, you know, I, I love what you're doing. My wife is super into Refuge. And he was like, hey, man, just don't fucking relapse. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to oh, say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot you of just, pressure. You better stay clean. You better stay clean.
2: <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of that, but holy shit. <laughs> no, 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 like, pressure.
3: no No
1: pressure. Yeah. You know, your name yeah. is on it. Yeah. Have you gotten any?
2: <laughs> have you gotten any blowback from people in traditional? You know, in traditional twelve step recovery, has anybody come up to you and said like, "Hey, there's there's a way to do this already, and it works pretty well for a lot of like, mm. what are you doing? What yeah. are you, you know, messing right. with stuff."
3: Not, not much directly. I'm sure that it's said, and I've had a couple of like friends, um, you know, kind of question it, but I haven't got much. Not much directly. No. But
0: it's grown pretty fast because you wrote the book within the last three, four years. And within St. Louis, there used to be one meeting last year, and now there's five. By the time
2: it gets to St. Louis, we're usually right, that's a what few I'm saying. years behind the totally. rest of the country. The so. fact that it's here
1: is <laughs> proof that it's growing, right? That's amazing. Well, right? And for comparison's sake, I think there's one smart meeting in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a need. You've definitely yeah, found something right. that people are... You know, Responding, into, into. yeah, yeah. that's
0: exciting.
3: I, I think, yeah, it, and you know, and, and there's no promotion or anything. It's all was word of mouth, and mm-hmm. it's all just people that want it, creating it. You know, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's similar to how the twelve step meetings right. grew eighty years ago, yeah. where you know, just sort of, what did they, what did they used to say? Like, all you need to start a meeting is a resentment and a coffee pot. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> you get a resentment towards the old meeting, and you go start a new one. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. that's funny. <laughs> So I, think, okay. I mean,
1: one of our listeners is, is talking about, I think, uh, from Lawrence, Kansas. There's not one in Lawrence, Kansas, and he's thinking about starting one there. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's interesting. It's it's sort of a viral yeah. sensation, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Without a doubt.
3: Yeah. there There's about 300 meetings now, mostly in North America. There's a handful in Europe and in uh, Mexico and Central America. Some meetings are starting. Um, there's, there's meetings in Thailand, um, you know, and so in some in Southeast Asia. So it's, it is happening and it's just people who are like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then they start a meeting and, um, there's, there have been meetings that have started and didn't succeed. And then there's places where, like you guys are saying, where there was a meeting, one meeting and now there's five, yeah. um, yeah. Can and just, it's it's more unlike you know like in New York City I think there's only two or three refuge meetings a week, but in um you know in some places in the South in uh, Alabama there's seven meetings a week you know like in yeah. some wow. some places it just really takes off.
0: That's wow. interesting. That is to- so. Tell us, have you had experience just watching newcomers come in? Um, and and it was interesting. My first take of it, just being a uh, AA guy, was. I needed people to kind of call me on my shit. And we, we talk about the tone of some AA meetings. Like I go to an old school, all men, 30 plus years, don't put up with shit. They tell you to you know, shut the hell up and sit out and listen and keep coming back. And then this one felt very, very loving and open. And, and I was curious just when people get here, because as addicts, we're just so full of shit. Sometimes I needed a little smackdown. But, uh, I wonder, you know, it's, it's, and that's not what refuge recovery is about. Mm -hmm. It's just a very compassionate, loving thing. And I just wonder if there's any, any newcomers getting into it or like, oh yeah, no, this, this totally works right out of the gate. People quit drinking and, uh, are very successful just doing that. Or if you know any stories about that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're, it is, you know, some people do need more tough love. And, and I, I'd imagine that there are some refuge meetings because there's, you know, most of the people in refuge uh, have been in the 12 steps. So they have that. They, they yeah. know not to take bullshit from, you know, the manipulating newcomers or whatever.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, but it does have a gentler tone for sure. And there, you know, there's so many people, thousands of people now who have used refuge recovery. As their sole path and are, you know, establishing and maintaining abstinence and are, you know, and aren't doing 12 steps at all
2: yeah.
3: and are getting sober and staying sober. That's awesome. That
2: that's And that's really the ultimate proof of concept, you know, yeah. is that there are people who are living um, in this way and, you know, have found contentment and, and abstinence and, yeah. and don't need to use and don't need to drink anymore. When are you going to have like a conference or like a thing?
0: You know, like, uh, or is that counter? Did you just have one? one?
3: Yeah. So we do. Yeah, we do it. We've had three now. We have um, this in June. The book came out. uh, Here's an interesting, uh, you know, story is that the book came out June 10th. Um, It was actually scheduled to come out sometime in May and the publisher pushed it back. And it came out June 10th, which is also the anniversary of the AA Big Book. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> and wow. it was just like this coincidence <laughs> yeah. of, you know, Refuge and the Big Book, you know, yeah. celebrate the same anniversary. So Refuge is only – the book has only been out for three years. And so around that weekend each year, we have a uh, conference here in Los Angeles. And so we just had it in June.
2: Okay. Well, we'll come to the next one. Was it was – it, uh, have you noticed the – it's is it larger year, year. after year? Yeah. The co- the conference has it no, it's been about size, the same or?
3: size. Um, I have it in my meditation. Well, I have it in my meditation center, and only about 150 people fit in there. So that's what we you know we keep it to 150. <laughs> oh, okay, but um, that seems to have been big enough so far.
1: Okay, one hundred and fifty three next year. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, we're coming. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, what, what I found fascinating too, just with the meet, the meeting, and again, we we uh, definitely want to go back. I keep saying we went to the, this one meeting. That the challenge is there's a meeting like basically that I could walk to from my house, from where we're talking to you right now. Um, it also happens to be going on right now while we right, when, when right. we record the podcast. <laughs> so the, when we went, we. Um, we went and then we came and recorded later. But um, what I found interesting was there was uh, someone in the meeting, I think this is talking in a turn, that had like decades in the 12 steps, but that was looking for something yeah. uh, different after yes. all that time. And, yeah. you know, I think for that person, it's 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 phenomenal that this is out there now too, because, yep. you know, recovery, you know, I think as we all know, is something that needs yeah. to keep, you need to... Yeah, you need to keep refreshing. refreshing. I couldn't
0: <laughs> yeah. recommend this highly yeah. enough. If you've got yeah. years of sobriety yeah. NAA, and you want to just like goose your program or f- right. see something else, or f- yeah, I think this w- this is terrific yeah. for that. Like all in on this, go, to, go pick up an RR meeting a week, you know, and just add it to your thing. It'll we find it'll we be find,
3: awesome. yeah, we find quite a bit of that people with double digit long term sobriety. Um, coming over and doing refuge and, you know, really learning the meditation Mm -hmm. stuff and whether they do it as an 11-step practice or they're uh, really interested in Buddhism. It's happening more and more. One of the things that is also happening is that people who were really resistant to the 12 steps, when they come to refuge and they find something that makes sense to them, Mm -hmm. then they find they can go to 12-step meetings And uh, feel more at home because they don't. It's it's not like this is the only way. They say I have a a practice over here in refuge, so now I feel more comfortable fellowshipping with twelve step people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that
2: I think that that we all felt that complimentary nature when we've been to some other. And I don't want to vilify any, certainly any path to recovery, but some other meetings that we've been to, other types, have been very almost reactionary to toward uh, twelve step. AA based mm. recovery, almost like you need to reject that in order to fit in here. And that didn't seem to be part and parcel right. of refuge at all. It felt uh, so open and and I could see I could see a lot of people using it's it. As defi- a complimentary it's
3: definitely thing. not part. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not part of the philosophy of refuge. But you will find sometimes in meetings people who have felt oppressed by the higher power language Mm
4: -hmm. saying,
3: I feel so relieved to not have to talk about God. Mm -hmm. And so there can be a little bit of 12 step bashing sometimes in meetings. I've seen it. Uh, And I, you know, even though the book is like, hey, go to 12 step meetings, it's really encouraging for them to be complimentary. But Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people just feel like, hey, I had to go over there and they tried to make me believe something I don't believe. And now that I am found somewhere that doesn't ask me to believe that, I feel such a relief I'm gonna talk some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Why not?
1: It's its own medicine.
2: <laughs> That's
3: awesome. Um,
1: well hey, is there anything right. uh we, we didn't we didn't get to you wanna talk? We'd certainly have you on again, but is there anything you want you we didn't mention or Yeah, what? and what's next?
2: I yeah. mean it sounds like you've kinda of, through no real un- concerted promotion you've kinda only- released this and
3: Yeah. The only thing that I would like to, you know, throw out there is that when I started Refuge, I thought, oh, treatment centers are going to try to use this Mm -hmm. um, as marketing for their treatment centers. You know, there's some treatment centers that are so 12-step oriented that they won't, but so many are just looking for uh, clients. And I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do? Because they're not going to have qualified people that understand this well enough. So me and some friends started a a treatment center in Los Angeles. So refuge recovery treatment centers where people who want this in a professional environment can come and really learn the four truths, the eightfold path, as well as, you know, all of the traditional psychotherapy and trauma resolution practices that help, uh, you know, in recovery.
1: All right. Terrific. So refuge recovery treatment center in Los Angeles. Yeah. Exists. how and how, how long has that been in operation?
3: Yeah, same about three years. About right, three years. right, okay. when, right. In the beginning, when I when okay. the book came out, I, I opened the treatment center. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, great. Uh, well, uh, thanks for joining us, Noah. We really appreciate it, and we uh, will definitely get get back to a uh, refuge recovery meeting soon. And uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for this. Yeah. yeah thank you.
3: Thanks, guys. Happy to be part of it. All right.
2: All right. Bye. Bye. All the best. Bye.
4: Bye.